He's Hacker. I like a good serial killer documentary. He hasn't taken the pounding that wide receivers take. Uh, it's just a pound job, and, and guys are tired towards that, that four minutes. And he doesn't shy away from opinion. I would be lying to you if I said I had not heard things. They're like a bad rash. You hear a lot of things. Some are true, some aren't. It's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. And a very good Friday evening to you. A little early edition of Hacker After Dark. We're up at the early 6 to 8 right now because Frangie Show is traveling back from Indianapolis at the Combine. They've been there all week, but we will take you up into 8 o'clock tonight and take you into the weekend here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. The Hacker Ryan Green with you along with R.J. Saunders, as we got a lot to do over the next two hours. They are working out, ladies and gentlemen, at the NFL Scouting Combine, day two of on-the-field activities. Today was interesting from a Jaguar point of view because it was the defensive backs, and odds are the Jaguars very early in the draft are going to take a defensive back. So we'll talk about that a little bit. I got a couple of more thoughts on the scouting combine the Jaguars now have four days four days next Tuesday March the 5th is the deadline to either get a long-term deal with Josh Allen or put the franchise tag on Josh Allen we will know 96 hours from now whether Josh Allen has been signed long term or whether they have to franchise him it's going to come quick we'll talk about that a lot Tonight as well, guest lineup looks like this. Hayes Carline of the Frangie Show was up in Indianapolis all week. He will join us in the next 15 minutes or so. Also, NFL draft analyst Dalton Miller towards the top of the 7 o'clock hour. But I want to begin with the combine. I want to begin with your Jacksonville Jaguars. Every night here on Hacker After Dark, we give you a big deal of the night, and R.J. Saunders. Let's do that right now. Time now for the big deal of the night. What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It is a big deal. On Hacker After Dark. All right, a couple of things. I will begin with the combine. Uh, I love the scouting combine. I love a lot of aspects of the scouting combine. One of the things, I won't go as far as to say I think it's amusing, but quite frankly, I do get a kick out of it from time to time, is when one of these players does a ridiculous broad jump, right? Or when one of these guys has a crazy fast three-cone drill, or one of these guys displays, quote, fluid hips in one of these drills, and that just explodes all over social media. You know, oh, I can't believe he had a 12-foot whatever, broad jump, a 11-foot vertical jump. I'm obviously exaggerating some of those, but you get the idea. To me, the combine is watching the analysis, hearing the experts, but come September when Player X is drafted and we're out there at OTAs and training camp and preseason, I am not going to give one flying rats A what they did in the broad jump in Indianapolis in February. It is so here and now news, it's ridiculous. The most unathletic human being looking guy on the planet in 2000 
was Tom Brady. I'm sure his broad jump wasn't spectacular, and I'm sure he didn't have the best vertical jump, but he seemed to do all right for himself in the National Football League. I I do appreciate everybody just going bonkers over this, that, and the other, and it's fun, and it's part of the combine. I enjoy the 40-yard dashes more than anything, but, man, the overreaction to some of these things is just awesome to me, to be honest because it's so many people just eat into the broad jump and the vertical jump and the three-cone drill. That's great, and that's wonderful. Well, let me see him in full pads in 100-degree weather here in Jacksonville taking on the Tennessee Titans in September. And when we're taking on the Tennessee Titans in September, no one's going to care what they did in the broad jump in February. That's one observation. Another observation is about the defensive backs earlier today. Again. I'm never going to be a scout. I'm never going to be confused for a scout. There are a lot of people that like to do that and more power to them, and that's why we have a lot of those people on Hacker After Dark. I go off of what I see and, and what the analysts say and what you hear from people around the league. And what I've heard from a long time, meaning a couple of weeks, couple of months, I guess, since mock drafts started firing up, is this Quinion Mitchell young man out of Toledo. Now, I'll be honest with you. I did not watch a lot of Toledo football. In my time during football season, I did not dedicate a lot to Toledo Rocket football. So I did not know a lot about Quinion Mitchell. I'm not afraid to admit that. What I've discovered is the guy just ran a 4-3-3-40, and he looks pretty good. And the reason I took notice of him is he's been mocked to the Jaguars several times over the last few weeks. I also took notice of Nate Wiggins, who's another defensive back from Clemson. Now, I knew him a little bit because he was at Clemson. Didn't know him a lot. Unfortunately, he got a little banged up today, but not before he ran a 4-2-8-40. Again, I do take notice of the 40-yard dash times, and those were unbelievably impressive. The thought is Jacksonville is going to address defensive back very early in the draft, if not in round one, certainly in round two, but maybe in round one, depending on what they do in free agency. Now, I've said time and time again, and I will continue to say it until something happens, I guess, in free agency that makes me change my thought process. I do believe defensive back is a need. But I go back to week 18, Nashville, Tennessee, and I go back to the Jaguars getting pushed all over that field by a below-average Tennessee Titan team. The Jaguar offensive line got manhandled. The Jaguar interior defensive line got manhandled. That's enough for me to realize the Jaguars need some help on the line of scrimmage. They need to get tougher. They need to get more physical. So I need a big ugly in round one. Now, maybe they address it in free agency. And again, thought processes will change at that point. But for the here and now on March 1st, going back to what happened 54 days ago to end the Jaguar season, give me somebody that weighs 320 pounds on either the interior O-line or the interior D-line. Will it be a sexy pick? No. Will it be a glamorous pick? No. Will people run out and buy season tickets because of it? No. But it's what the Jaguars need. 
I got tired of seeing Travis Etienne get tackled three yards in the backfield. They were a terrible run-blocking offensive line. Awful, particularly towards the end of the year. And I got tired of seeing Derrick Henry running gaps wide as the Sahara Desert. You got to do something about that. I agree you need to address the secondary. You need to address a lot of different things. But man alive, that was embarrassing to end the year. And that gets me to the Jaguars. You know, it's interesting, the lack of news that has surrounded Jacksonville this week. We've had players getting cut in Washington, in Kansas City, in New England, Tampa Bay, Miami, you name it. A lot of teams have cut a lot of guys this week. Nothing from Jacksonville. Absolutely nothing. You know, the thought is Rayshon Jenkins could be a cap casualty. Foley Fadakasi could be a cap casualty. Potentially a guy like Zay Jones. I thought Cam Robinson might have been, but it appears that's probably not going to be the case based on what Peterson and Balky said earlier this week. But very little news coming out about that. Again, the Jaguars have the opportunity to create quite a bit of cap room for themselves. But they have not made any moves yet. Now, they still have time. We are 10 days away, 10 days away from the legal tampering period, March 11th. You can officially sign guys on March the 13th. So it'll come quick, and it'll probably happen a majority next week. But you did see quite a few teams make quite a few moves this week during the combine, and at least to this point, at the time you and I are talking, Jacksonville has not been one of them. I'm going to talk about this a lot more next week, but I'll kind of give you my initial thoughts on it. I'll tell you the way I I believe things are going to go. Josh Allen's going to be a Jaguar in 2024. I'm not really breaking any news there. But they have four days to sign him to a long-term deal or else they're going to have to franchise him. I believe it's heading in the direction of the tag. I believe it is. Could that change? Sure. But right now, you ask me, I think it's heading in the direction of the tag. And if that happens, I think Calvin Ridley's probably gone. I've told you guys this for the last couple of weeks. It's my belief if Ridley hits free agency March 11th and is free to negotiate with other teams, I think it might be a Jawan Taylor situation like last year. I think he could be gone a few hours into the tampering period. I think Taylor was gone to Kansas City like four hours after the tampering period started a year ago. I hope Calvin Ridley's back. That's my hope. But I'm starting to have doubts about that. Josh Allen is the more important of the two. Absolutely. But I believe more time that goes on, you franchise Allen, thus Ridley hits the market. And I believe if Ridley hits the market, it's going to be hard to keep him in Jacksonville. I also believe it might be hard for Ezra Cleveland to remain here. And I didn't think this going in, but talking to people do the salary cap, apparently there's going to be a little bit of a market for him. 27-year-old guy, pretty young, 50-plus career starts in the National Football League. I wonder if it could potentially get to a bidding war for Ezra Cleveland and if Jacksonville may not be willing to go there. So I got to tell you, Of the three that we've talked the most about since the season ended, the free agents, Allen, Ridley, and Ezra Cleveland, 
I think Allen's back. I'm not sure about the other two. I would tend to bet against the other two returning. And if that's the case, you got to replace Ridley, right? That almost assures Zay Jones will remain here with Christian Kirk, and then you got to go sign somebody or you got to draft somebody reasonably high in the draft. And then Ezra Cleveland, you got to rebuild that offensive line. With or without him, you got to rebuild it anyway. But if you lose him, it's even more of a rebuild job. No question about it. But the lack of news around the Jaguars has been interesting this week. Again, 10 days out from free agency. They have not made a move. You've seen plenty of teams making moves to dump salary. I find that a little bit interesting. And again, Josh Allen, four days, March the 5th is the deadline, long-term deal or franchise tag. Now, potentially, I guess you could franchise him and then sign him on March 9th. And I actually don't know how that works. I don't think you'd be able to use the franchise tag. The franchise tag deadline's March 5th. So even if you franchise him and then sign Allen on March 9th, you can't tag Ridley at that point because the deadline to place the tag on somebody is March 5th. So if they don't tag Allen, or I'm sorry, if they don't re-sign Allen by Tuesday and they got to tag him, I do not think that bodes well for Calvin Ridley's return to Jacksonville. Hope I'm wrong. I just think on the free agent market, Mike Evans is probably not going to make it. He's going to re-sign. T. Higgins was franchised. And Michael Pittman Jr. is likely not going to leave Indy. So Calvin Ridley may literally be the best free agent wide receiver on the market. And if he gets there on Monday, March 11th, you get the feeling some team is going to throw a bunch of money at him. A bunch of money. And I don't know if the Jaguars will be able to match it. We'll see. The good thing is all these conversations we've had for going on eight weeks, we're going to get some answers to in less than 10 days. It is a Friday night edition of Hacker After Dark. We're up early today in for Baloo, who was in for the Frangie show. They're traveling back from the scouting combine. Coming up next, part of the Frangie Show, my buddy Hayes Carline. You hear him every afternoon here on 1010XL. Let's talk to Hayes about the combine up in Indy. But then I want to do free agent talk, kind of a Jaguar offseason outlook with Hayes Carline. That's coming up next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida. And we're glad you're with us. It's 1010XL and it's 92.5 FM. After dark on 1010XL. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Combine workouts on the field have begun up in Indianapolis. They will run through Sunday. Of course, the NFL world has been centered there since Tuesday, and we are now just a week and a half away from NFL free agency. With all that being said, Hayes Carline, Frank Frangie, Mia O'Brien have done a great job up in Indianapolis all week, and Hayes joins us here on Hacker After Dark. Hayes, how you doing? Hacker, I am doing great. Thanks so much for having me on. Hayes, really appreciate it, man. I know you guys are very busy up there. And all right, I want to dive into free agency with you, but certainly up in Indianapolis, listening to Trent Baalke this week, listening to Doug Peterson this week, some of your biggest takeaways from what they had to say. Well, I was glad that Trent Baalke has a, a, had a meeting scheduled for early this week with Josh Allen. I think he said it was going to be that afternoon. So 
uh, you know, we, that's the key. That's the big domino. They need to get the deal done with Josh Allen so that they can tag Ridley. And, and even beyond the Ridley, they need to just sign Josh Allen. It's what they should do. Uh, I get negotiations can be difficult, but this shouldn't be one of those times. And so I was encouraged, and, and my hope is that Josh Allen will be uh, signed long-term as a Jaguar. And then, you know, again, it, it, it does allow them to use the tag on Calvin Ridley, which I think would make some sense. So, uh, But it was good. You know, I think uh, in terms of all the stuff that they talked about, about Nielsen, i uh, really excited to see how the defense is going to look uh, under him. And uh, again, that that big corner need, uh, Trent Baalke said, look, I, I don't know who our third corner is. And, you know, obviously the second corner is, you know, a 30 year old and Darius Williams. So, again, you definitely get the feeling the more this offseason progresses that if the right corner is there at 17, that's going to be probably where this franchise goes you know perception is up to interpretation obviously everybody's got opinions on people but I've talked to two people this week and talking about Trent Baalke that say that he seems more maybe relaxed that isn't the right term but more loose maybe than he has in years past have you gotten that vibe from him yeah I think so I mean this is obviously a, a gigantic year for for Trent and you know I, I think he's certainly doing his best to you know get people on his side as as much as he can so um yeah I think he's been good and and the availabilities that he's had uh but again it's it's all going to come down to what Shad Khan wants I mean it's you know we can sit here and say well if they win eight games then you know Trent Baalke's going to be fired well we don't know that I mean we don't know I mean Shad Khan's had a lot of patience in his time as Jaguars owner so it's it's hard to know exactly what he's going to do and what's what he's going to view as acceptable but uh yeah but I, I would agree with you I think Trent Baalke has tried to uh learn from you know how he's done things in the past and certainly he's very cognizant of the perception that he has in the fan base and so I do think he's tried to be a little bit more transparent as best he can without showing his cards Hayes Carline here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. All right, Hayes, let's dive right in. Josh Allen, the franchise tag deadline is March the 5th, next week. It's coming up quick. Do you believe by March the 5th the Jaguars can hammer out a long-term deal, or do you believe a franchise tag is going to be placed on him? I believe they're going to hammer it out because Josh wants to be here. Obviously, his representation knows that. And the season that Josh had where he just rewrote the record book uh, for the franchise in terms of sacks, I just think that it's going to make the most sense for everybody just to get a long-term deal done. I mean, again, you know, I always feel like I need to mention this. These aren't guaranteed contracts like other sports. I mean, if you sign Josh Allen and you're not thrilled with the deal two years in, you release Josh Allen. I mean, it's not complicated. So the risk that the club takes on by doing a deal like this it is fairly minimal. And again, you're getting his prime years. I mean, you're getting the years where he should be at his best. So I, I don't see a downside in giving him the deal. I mean, we've talked about, you know, this franchise has drafted poorly historically. And when they have gotten it right, they haven't been able to get their marquee players to second contracts for the most part. And this is a, an instance where they need to send a big message that they can, in fact, do that reward from within. And Josh Allen is deserving of a big, big contract because, again, you, you have to assume 
that over the next three years, he's going to be right at the top of the list when you look at sacks and pressures. What happens with Josh Allen will be a direct domino effect to Calvin Ridley. Let's assume, best case scenario, Allen gets a deal done in the next six days. Does that mean, in your opinion, they franchise Ridley? I would think so because I, I definitely think they have – they believe that in year two he'll be better here. Uh, I think they like Calvin. So uh, I do think it's it's important for the Jaguars in their view to retain him. I just don't think they will if he hits the market. Uh, I, I think you could make a case he's going to be no worse than the second-best receiver in all likelihood available. And, you know, there's big money to be spent. The cap went up by a ton for every club. And, you know, so the teams that already had money now have even more. And I just think that Ridley's going to get some absurd deal if he's allowed to negotiate with the other 30. I mean, Atlanta's out. I can't imagine he'd go back there. But, you know, you've, you've got 30 other clubs that could have an, a receiver interest if, if seven of those clubs decide we're really going to make a strong run at Calvin Ridley. I mean, you know, for the Jaguars to get him back, they're going to have to really grossly overpay for him so I think the tag makes the most sense you know and then in June and July if you like where it's headed then you know maybe you do sign him to an extension but by that point the Atlanta compensation has been settled so you don't have to worry about losing the second round pick the draft will have already occurred and they'll they'll take your third so that's the way it should be played that would be the smart the smart move but you know, we'll see what they end up doing. I completely agree with you, by the way. I get the vibe that they want Ridley back. It's all going to come down to Josh Allen. But I do agree if Ridley hits the market, which, again, we're not talking about a long time from now. It's 10 days from now. It's Monday, March the 11th. If he's able to get out there, I think it's going to be very similar to Jawan Taylor. Three or four hours into the free agency frenzy, we're going to get a tweet that Ridley's off to, you know, wherever. So if you want Ridley back, you got to do it prior to March 11th, but then, Hayes, the interesting thing there, and I guess the franchise tag would solve that, you don't want to give up the second-round pick to Atlanta. So in a perfect world, you sign Allen long-term, you franchise Ridley. I don't think they'll re-sign Ridley prior to the league calendar because then you owe a second-round pick to the Falcons. That's the thing, and, and when they made the deal, they thought that possible second-rounder was going to be in, like, the late 50s, maybe even, maybe even in the 60s. And obviously, that's not the way the season went. So it's now a top 50 pick. I mean, there's no way they're going to do that. So I, I just, you know, I, I think, again, it's I'm surprised they've made it this complicated. I mean, I, I get it. it takes two to, to make the deal happen. But again, Josh has always been very vocal about wanting to stay here. Obviously, he's, he's a great family man and, and things like that. So, I mean, I, I just I would think this deal wouldn't be overly hard to do. And, you know, once you do that deal, you tag Ridley and, you know, now you can address the interior offensive line and corner and the interior defensive line and free agency and with your prime draft picks. And, you know, this team was certainly disappointing in its close, but I don't feel like they're a million miles away. I think they're in the mix to be good in an incredibly deep AFC. And, you know, if you get Josh and Calvin done, you know, now you still have some free agent money and you've got your 17th pick and, and your second round pick and a comp third to continue to build. couple of more for 1010XL's Hayes Carline. All right. I guess the third biggest free agent, amazingly, was only here half the season last year, and that's Ezra Cleveland. They acquired him at the trade deadline. I've been surprised, Hayes, talking to people around the league with Spot Track and the salary cap folks at Pro Football Focus. They think Cleveland's market might be bigger 
because 27-year-old guards with 50 career starts or more don't hit the market very often. So I don't know if that's going to price Cleveland out of Jacksonville, but it might be harder to retain him than people believe. What's your thought there? Well, I don't know why Ezra Cleveland would would re-sign here without knowing what the market bears. So that to me, that doesn't make any sense. He just arrived, to your point. Uh, so he has no real roots. Uh, and, and frankly, the second half of the season was a nightmare for the Jaguars. So it's not like Ezra Cleveland, even in a limited time, saw a lot of success here. And, uh, you know, so that one, I, I agree. I think that's a, I think people are, are jumping to the conclusion of, well, Ezra Cleveland will be the left guard. And, and that could end up happening. But if I was Ezra Cleveland and I was his agent, I'd be like, well, yeah, we may re-sign with the Jaguars, but it's not going to be until we get to two or three days into the legal tampering window where we see exactly what our market looks like because of exactly what you're saying. I mean, why would you not let the other clubs bid on you? I mean, obviously the Jaguars aren't going to tag Cleveland, so he is going to be available. So to me, it would be, I, I would want, you know, I'd, I'd go to the highest bidder and if the Jaguars are that great, but if they're not, then, you know, I would move on. So I don't think that's locked in stone that, that Cleveland automatically comes back. He's not a tremendous player. Uh, and, and there is a lot of depth at the guard position in free agency. But again, to your point, it only takes one to offer him something that, you know, the Jaguars are going to view as just, you know, a, a untenable number for them. So I, I do agree that I, I don't think you can etch it in stone that Ezra Cleveland is going to be on this team next year. Hayes, among the other free agents, Herndon, Agnew, Smoot, uh, Chase on, I guess. Uh, who else is the priority for the Jaguars, in your opinion? I don't think any of those guys are. I think all those guys will be allowed to test the market, and uh, I'd be surprised if any of them resign, even if they don't necessarily get signed in the first wave of free agency. Uh, I think the organization is probably done with Smoot, uh, but certainly they're done with Chase on. I think uh, Herndon is uh, not really a great fit in where they're wanting to go with Nielsen. So, I mean, again, for Trent Baalke to say we don't have a third corner, um, you know, there was no prefacing of that of, you know, but hopefully we get Trey back. Yeah, there was none of that. So I I think Agnew, I guess, would be the most likely because of his return ability uh, and and obviously everything that, you know, he's he's a good, you know, he's he's a he's a good they all are. I'm not trying to slight anybody with this, but. But Agnew uh, is a good dude as well. So it's, I think, from a, a standpoint, he's he's just got more of a skill set that I think the Jaguars would like to retain, uh, you know, with the punt return ability and and the kickoff ability. Even though you don't really see too many of those anymore. But uh, so if I had to say, I I think Agnew has a decent chance of returning. But I think I think honestly, there's fairly high chance that none of them do. Hayes at noon on March 11th, either the player or the position. Who are the first two or three calls you're making if you're the Jaguars for out-of-house free agents? You know, it's it's hard to predict until we see who gets the tag and, and things like that. But, I mean, look, the Daniil Hunter thing obviously is red hot, um, you know, and, and it has been for a while. And they, I think, have been very vocal about a willingness to move Trayvon Walker around and have him be a little bit of a chess piece. Well, I mean, if they could find a way – to get Daniil Hunter and keep Josh Allen with Trayvon Walker. I mean, my goodness. And, and then, you know, if you're able to, uh, you know, get a corner at 17. So, I mean, I, I think in, in terms of, you know, looking at it, 
uh, you know, if they're able to acquire Hunter, uh, that would be the one that to me would stand out. I mean, I, I think they'll sign a guard, but I don't think it's going to be anybody that's going to, you know, lead to a lot of celebration. I mean, the fans will be excited that they, they address the offensive line, but there's not a guard that's going to be like a, a blockbuster kind of guy. So if they could find a way to acquire Hunter uh, and do it at a, a fairly, you know, reasonable level, then I think that would be the home run of all home runs. Uh, but I think free agency is going to be more plan B guys. I don't, I don't, I don't think it's going to be, uh, you know, any, anything like what we've seen in the past when the Jaguars had oodles a cap. I think, I think it'll be solid guys, trench guys. Uh, and, and, but Hunter's the one that I'm really intrigued by if they could find a way to, to get him from the Vikings. Hayes, final question. And again, free agency will change opinions on this certainly, but as we stand right now, end of February, beginning of March. A lot of mocks are coming out with defensive back, defensive back, defensive back, and I agree with that. I also think back to Nashville, Tennessee, and the fact the Jaguars got absolutely manhandled in the interior O-line and the interior D-line by what was then a below-average Titans line of scrimmage. So I need a 300-pounder, man, in round one. I know a lot of people are going defensive back route. I'm going the line of scrimmage route. What's your thought about 17 as we stand right now? I, I would be surprised if it's an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman. I mean, I, I wouldn't discount it, but I think it's it's one of those things that I think they're going to address it well enough in free agency. Uh, I think they're not. I don't think they're taking a center at 17. I, I don't think they're willing to concede that that Fordner's done, which is what you'd be doing if you took you know Jackson Powers Johnson at 17. So I, I, I think you'll, you'll see some free agent signings there. Uh, I think you'll see Ryan Nielsen get a couple of guys in free agency that he's worked with before uh, in that interior to help, you know, round out the rotation. Uh, but I, I think there's, I think, I think your, your concerns are going to get addressed, but I don't think it's going to be with the 17th pick. I think it's going to be uh, free agency and then possibly, you know, as you get deeper into the draft, you know, they may invest something there, but, uh, I think 17 is, does a guy fall? A guy that you just never dreamed would be there and they just go, you know, best available. My guess is one of the corners that they like is going to be there. Uh, I think they're four or five guys that would make a lot of sense. And so, uh, you know, I think one of them will probably be there at 17. You get Hayes Carline every afternoon on the Frangie Show, and he's always kind enough to join us here on Hacker After Dark. Hayes, great work up in Indianapolis. Safe travels home, and we'll talk soon, my friend. Hacker really enjoyed it. Thanks so much. This is Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. Yes, it is. Up early today, Franzi Show heading home from Indianapolis. Blue is with you 3-6. to six. I'm with you 6-8. to eight. Normally, 8 o'clock to 10 o'clock here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, NFL draft analyst Dalton Miller to talk Combine, Jaguars, a little AFC South, and more. We'll do a little NBA talk, a little association talk, with you in the 7 o'clock hour, Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel to talk about the red hot, and I do mean red hot, my beloved Orlando Magic. That comes up towards the bottom of the 7 o'clock hour. Uh, speaking of basketball, boy, a big one tomorrow here on 1010XL. High noon in the Southeastern Conference. 
Florida and South Carolina. Raise your hand if you had a battle of top 25 teams with Florida and South Carolina popped up on your schedule on Saturday, March the 2nd. But here South Carolina is 11 and 4 in the conference, 23 and 5 overall for the Gamecocks, 23 and 5. Florida enters tomorrow 10 and 5 in the SEC, 20 and 8 overall. It's a big game, it's one of those quad one games for the Gators to improve their NCAA tournament resume. And from an SEC tournament standpoint, if you win tomorrow, and then you beat lowly Vanderbilt, not even matters what happens against Alabama midweek, you would get a double bye in the SEC tournament. Right now, Florida is fourth in the SEC. Of course, you have four teams get that double bye. They don't have to play till Friday of tournament week, conference tournament week, so a big game for the Gators tomorrow. Noon tip, Florida and South Carolina. Of course, we'll have it right here for you on 1010XL. Speaking of the Gators, I always get a kick out of this as more of these lists come out, and it'll be really sad and depressing once the uh, preseason college football magazines get here. Uh, I saw the top 10 quarterbacks in America coming into the spring football season that ESPN.com put out. Florida plays four of them next year. I think Cam Ward was on that list, so Miami was on there, Texas was on there, Georgia was on there, and Jackson Dart of Ole Miss was on there. That coincides with ESPN.com's way too early top 25 from about a week or two ago, in which nine of the way too early top 25, that's nine of them, are on the Gators' schedule. Good grief, man. So not only is Billy Napier likely on the hot seat here in 2024, not only is Gator Nation a little restless, but you have the hardest schedule in the country, and in 35-plus years of watching Gator football, I'm not sure if you've ever had a harder schedule on paper. And this is what a lot of Gator fans wanted. Remember when Florida played the Citadel and Ball State and Southeast Missouri? Oh, we don't want to play those teams. No, want to play the best, right? Got to compete against the best. What's college football is all about. You play the best. Great competition. All right. You wanted it. You got it. You get Miami, you get UCF, and you get Florida State on top of eight conference games. So you now have 11 Power Five games and only one quote-unquote cupcake in Sanford. So when Florida gets the brakes beat off of them this year a couple of those times, don't say, oh, man, I wish we could go back to having a couple of easy games. No, 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 no. This is what a lot of you wanted. This is one of those situations to me where be careful what you ask for because sometimes you get it and it may not be as enjoyable as you thought it would be. And to me, that's what the Florida football schedule is in 2024. I think the Gators are going to be better. But I don't know how you can maneuver that schedule. I don't know how you can drive through that schedule. I mean, you can only get up so many times for big games, right? Was it, who was it? Was it Jackie Sherrill? One of the old school SEC coaches had a quote back in the day that basically says you can get up three times during the season. The beginning of the year, 
a big-time conference game in the middle of the year and your rival at the end of the year. Those are the three games you get up for. Well, if you're Florida in 2024, you better be up to play Miami because they're going to come to Gainesville wanting to beat the pants off you. You better be up to play Texas A&M two weeks later because they got a lot to prove with brand-new head coach Mike Elko. You better be up to go to Knoxville to play Tennessee. You better be up to play Kentucky because they've beat you three years in a row. You better be up to play UCF because that'll be their Super Bowl coming to Gainesville. You better be up to play Georgia at the cocktail party or they'll beat you by 50. You better be up to go to Austin to play Texas or they'll beat you by 50. You better be up to play LSU in a rivalry game. You better be up to play Ole Miss. They might have their best team in decades. And you better be up to play Florida State at Doe Campbell. Good grief with that Gator football schedule. It's it's to the point where it's, it's a ridiculous schedule. There isn't one team in America that would trade spots with Florida and trade schedule for schedule. So I almost feel bad for Napier in that regard because um, I don't know if Vince Lombardi could navigate that schedule with the talent they have in Gainesville compared to the talent of the teams they're going to have to play in 2024. But more on the Gators coming up. We'll get back into basketball, back into football as time goes on, certainly. Spring football in the Southeastern Conference has started, right? Auburn has started spring ball, year two for Hugh Freeze. Missouri, I believe, started spring ball today. They are the first two SEC teams to begin spring drills. The Orange and Blue game, April 13th, kind of creeping up on us, right? Six weeks away from Gator Spring football. The game, Gator Spring ball, I think actually begins end of next week, maybe? It's not more than a week and a half or so away. So kind of got here quick is, again, we're in March, so now you can officially say Garnet and Gold game, Orange and Blue game, or next month, and the Jacksonville Jaguars report for offseason conditioning next month. And, of course, the NFL draft is now next month in Detroit. Speaking of the draft, Dalton Miller, NFL draft analyst. He's covered the draft for years. I love having Dalton on. We'll talk Jaguars. We'll look at the defensive back position, and we'll get his thoughts on what the Jags should do, not only at 17, but at 49 in round two. Let's talk Jaguars. Let's talk draft and more with Dalton Miller, NFL draft analyst, next. Hacker After Dark on a Friday night in Jacksonville, Florida, here on 1010XL at 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Hacker after dark on 1010XL. Back here on 1010XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. The scouting combine going on up in Indianapolis this week. We are now inside of two weeks until NFL free agency. And of course, the NFL draft is only now less than two months away the nfl offseason just rolling on by with all that being said my friend dalton miller has joined us for years he's covered the league and now dalton is doing a lot more coverage with the nfl draft we'll let you tell him all about that here in just a moment dalton how we doing fantastic um the nfl combine is always a great spectacle and i think a lot of people either push it towards one side of hey this isn't really important at all 
you know, in, in terms of how guys move around, um, or it is everything for these guys. And just like everything else, the truth is somewhere in between all of that. It is incredibly important for a lot of different reasons. The medicals being the biggest one. Interviews are incredibly important during this time as well. Um, athletic testing, because of all the GPS data that we have at this point, if guys don't do particularly well or, or guys don't test at all, it's not really a huge bother because these teams have all the information you could ever ask for already. Yeah, I always think it's interesting. We talk about the legal tampering period beginning on that Monday, in this case, March the 11th. No, 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 no. If it hasn't begun already, it's going to begin in Indianapolis, right, when the entire league descends there on the combine. Uh, quickly, Dalton, you've, you've covered the league for years. You've joined us for years, and you still will, but now much more involved with NFL draft coverage. Yeah. So, um, yeah, definitely. Uh, I, it, it's where I started. I started covering the NFL draft back in 2016. Uh, and I really, really fell in love with it in, I wanted to get back into it. Unfortunately, I couldn't really do that in the capacity at PFN, um, just because of, of what it was. Um, and I had some other avenues that I wanted to explore outside of, of the world of football. So I'm still going to be covering the league and, and keeping a really tight pulse on that. And I'm still going to be covering the, the Dallas Cowboys for the, the Cowboys crowd. Um, but my day in, day out is definitely going to be focused around the NFL draft. And I will be covering it year round so I don't have to try to play catch up in February through April. Yeah, no, we understand. We certainly enjoy your coverage. And that will continue with us here on 1010XL. All right, Dalton, let's talk about the draft. And before we get there, Let's come to Jacksonville and talk about some of the young guys. You know, we had you on, I want to say like seven or eight weeks ago after the Jaguars finished off the worst collapse in franchise history, and at that point it was all doom and gloom. But as we got to thinking about it, as I got to thinking about it, one of the positives, at least at the end of the year, man, Trayvon Walker looked like he found something towards the end of the year. Ended with 10 sacks. Now, obviously, he's always going to be compared to Aiden Hutchinson in Detroit, which is not a good comparison, at least right now. But do you think that Trayvon might have found himself a little bit towards the end of this past season? Yeah, the thing with Trayvon is it was always going to take time for him as a pass rusher. It wasn't really his duty when he was at the University of Georgia. He was more of a five technique, somebody who was going to stop the run. And then every once in a while, you saw the freakish athleticism, especially for you know being a 270-pound human being. Um, just having the ability to play outside linebacker and to play in a two-point stance and drop in coverage every once in a while as a 270-pound defender is impressive. And so once he's able to kind of get down the consistent hand usage and rush plan, when he's able to pin his ears back, you see a guy like that with that kind of get-off, he's going to be able to win every once in a while. It's the consistent wins that are going to start to come after a couple of years. He was always going to take a little bit of time. And Josh Allen took quite a bit of time to, to really turn it around and to really find himself. Now, you don't want it to be as long for, you know, being the top pick in the draft. But there is a little bit of, and I say this in a good way, Jadavion Clowney in him, in that he is already a very good run defender. And so you have the, the good run defender. You have the flashes of pass rush. Is it enough to make you forget about Aiden Hutchinson? Not right now, but it very well could be in a year or two when they are practically comparable. 
NFL draft analyst Dalton Miller here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Dalton, the guy that was drafted with Trayvon Walker was Devin Lloyd. Devin has shown flashes in the first two years, but clearly I think coming into year three, probably more questions with him than there is with Trayvon. Yeah, and, you know, he wasn't the only linebacker in that draft class either. Devin Lloyd, fantastic athlete, great coverage defender in college. You know, a lot of those Pac-12 guys, you know, Pac-12 linebackers specifically, Mountain West linebackers, really, really solid in coverage, and he was one of those guys. Uh, Chad Muma in the third round, somebody who, a freak athlete, and we've seen that consistently with Jacksonville towards the top of the draft, is drafting those fantastic athletes. And so for me, Devin Lloyd, linebacker in general, is a tough position, not just at the college level, but the projection to the NFL level, because they're often asked to do such different things at the NFL level than they did in college. There's a lot less responsibility usually at the college level. You have a little bit more freedom to go and make plays that you don't have at the NFL level, because literally everybody needs to be doing their specific job or this is going to be a very bad play in run defense for your football team. You cannot have a weak link. And so with, with a guy like Devin Lloyd, who was an outstanding coverage defender, but not the you know outrageous run defender, it's just taking a little bit of time to get consistent in that area. And this is not an anti-Chad Muma sentiment. You mentioned him. This is an anti-Trent Balky sentiment, at least in this regard. I thought it was crazy that he drafted Muma after he drafted Lloyd two rounds prior, and that's proven to come to fruition because I agree with you. I like Chad. I like everything about Chad. I think on the field, despite what happened in London with B. John Robinson on that one play, aside from that, Chad Muma's fine. He's a very good player. They're not getting him on the field because they drafted the guy at the same position two rounds higher. Dalton, I thought it was terrible then. I think it's terrible now. Yeah, not just that, but that was the same offseason that they signed Foyasade uh, to a, a big contract in free agency. And, you, you know, he is a good football player himself coming from Atlanta. So, yeah, I mean, you're in a league at this point where, I mean, I look at the Dallas Cowboys, for instance, just because I know so much about them. And they play three safeties on the football field way more than they play three linebackers at this point it, it, because defending the pass is so important and you have guys playing safety at the college level who have to be able to fit the run from the third level and guys who are 220 pounds and you know are they a safety are they a linebacker well they can survive at linebacker and they can be your sam guy who can play a little bit in the slot and that third linebacker spot is still important but it, i don't think it's important enough to spend any kind of capital before day three NFL draft analyst Dalton Miller here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Dalton, quickly, last year, before we jump ahead to 24, Anton Harrison at number 27 in the draft last year. I didn't know a lot about Harrison when they drafted him. I learned pretty quick. People out at Oklahoma loved him. And man alive. I mean, a couple of bad games here and there, I guess. But by and large, I thought Harrison was pretty good his rookie campaign. Yeah, young player, super athletic. I really liked him coming out of Oklahoma. I thought, you know, another guy who it might take a little bit of time uh, to really develop because he is a little bit young, um, thrown directly into the fire this year because of the Cam Robinson suspension. Um, you know, it kind of sounded like they were just going to start him at right tackle and, and Walker Little was going to be the swing guy. 
Um, but, uh, you know, we came in thrown into the fire and, and sometimes it doesn't go very well early on. But, you know, when you look at that offensive line, I definitely do not think that it was uh, that offensive tackle position that was really the downfall of that offensive line. Let's get into this year's draft and let's get into this year's offensive line class. People here in Jacksonville, Dalton, are taking all of their anger out on Trent Baalke and Press Taylor. If there's a third guy, it's Luke Fortner, the center. All right, and I like Luke, but he did not have a good year. In fact, I don't think he's had a good couple of years, even though he started every game at center. And everybody down here is in love with Jackson Powers Johnson, the center from the University of Oregon. Let's begin right there. Do you believe at 17, would that be too early for Jackson Powers Johnson? What is your thought on that whole dynamic? You know, it's really interesting because the NFL, they just don't value the center position. And this is a year where there might be three guys, you know, between Jackson Powers Johnson, Zach Frazier, and Graham Barton, who could all be, you know, kind of that first round guy at the center position. And so does that push these guys back a little bit? It's a really interesting conversation because the, the league just doesn't seem to care about it. You know, these guys drop that Creed Humphrey, you know, because he was left-handed went 63rd or 64th overall. And I think he was probably the best um, of the, the center prospects that I have seen recently. So, you know, I, I look at it and I say, yeah, like this is a player who, one year at, at center at Oregon and played guard before that. So even if you take him at, at, as a center and you have a problem at guard and you want to throw Fortner back into the fire at center and you want to move Jackson Powers Johnson, who is 330 pounds, by the way, and moves incredibly well, he can slide right into guard and, and be a top end guard as well. So for me, that kind of positional versatility for JPJ is massive. And for me, I would draft him at 17 and not really think twice about it. But there are other needs, and there's a chance that they can get some really good players on the defensive side of the ball as well. Yeah, and to that point, you know, Jackson Powers Johnson is the guy locally that people have seemed to flock to. Nationally, when all these mock drafts come out, boy, I've seen an awful lot of Quinion Mitchell, the corner out of, I believe, Toledo that has been mocked to Jacksonville. I believe he went out of the Senior Bowl and was the best player out there from, from the indications I've received. What is your thought on Mitchell, and could he be a fit in Jacksonville at 17? Yeah, Mitchell and, and Darius Robinson, uh, two guys who absolutely met uh, Missouri edge rusher Darius Robinson had outstanding senior bowls. When I look at, at Mitchell, the uh, freak athleticism is there, the playmaking ability in zone coverage is there. When I look at uh, you know the, the Jacksonville Jaguars defense, when I'm looking at Tyson Campbell, I looked at Tyson Campbell as kind of that over the top cover three guy who, you know, a little bit stiff in the hips, but he's a really, really good cornerback overall. I think somebody like Mitchell brings that, you know, fluidity that Campbell doesn't quite have and Campbell, you know, super high end number two, but Mitchell could be that legitimate playmaking four, five, six, seven interceptions a year while also being a very good consistent cover corner as well with his size and athleticism. Uh, so definitely wouldn't be a bad pick for me. Uh, there's It's a really high-end offensive class this year. Offensive line, five receivers, and quarterbacks are going to be going flying off the board at the top. And so some of these corners who I think could be really good at the NFL level, 
who might be top 10 guys some year might be able to drop down. And he's not the only guy. Nate Wiggins is another dude uh, from Clemson who, if you have the opportunity to draft him, you should absolutely consider it. Final moments, NFL draft analyst Dalton Miller. All right, Dalton, the draft in totality, positions of strength, positions of weakness. How would you assess it when you look at the entire class? Yeah, I really love this quarterback class overall. Uh, five, six, seven guys who who I really like in this class who I think could end up eventually being starting quarterbacks at the NFL level. Uh, wide receivers, unbelievable. Uh, I, you know, kind of tweeted it out the other day. Um, I, I think I have like 12 or 13 guys in the first two rounds of draft grades, and I'm a, a very strict grader. So that, that should really tell you how good this receiving class is. Um, other strengths. It's tough. I think corner overall is pretty good. The depth kind of falls off a little bit there. Um, defensive tackle has two legitimate dudes in Byron Murphy um, and uh, Jerzon Newton. And then you also have Devondre Sweat and a couple other guys who are more run-stopping types. Uh, but I think when you're looking at that, that's, that's where the, the strengths kind of are. The weaknesses. Safety is not very good in this class. I think there's some guys on day two or early day three you might be able to target, but but no outrageous difference makers on on day one or even maybe early on day two. Uh, Running back is weak at the top, but I think that there's some good depth there as well. Uh, Edge for me is a weak one, whereas there's not a ton of of top-end guys, and then the depth kind of falls off as well at edge. You mentioned a couple of times their depth as we wrap up with you. 2019, I believe the number was 140 uh, underclassmen declared for the draft. You fast forward to where we are now in 2024, only 54 underclassmen declared for the draft. That's NIL, that's Transfer Portal, that's the college side of it. But how that's affected the draft is probably the depth, right? I mean, would you say that – once you get into round five, six, certainly seven, that there's going to be a problem for some teams there? Absolutely. And I think the teams are going to very quickly realize, I want to move up to get a guy now. And that is a really tough proposition because it's a two-way street. These other teams aren't just going to want to automatically, you know, move down, you know, for a guy that they don't even want. I mean, I think more than anything, maybe you're moving up and, and trying to give, capital in the future if anything but i just don't know where this goes because we're still in those covid you know years where guys have extra eligibility on top of nil and so it'll be fun to watch how this progresses over the next couple of seasons but i do think that the depth in this class is an issue because so many good underclassmen went back to school Dalton, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville where they can find your uh, your work covering the NFL draft. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter or X or whatever you want to call it, at Dalton B. Miller. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at the same. And I also have a Patreon where all of my draft rankings and scouting reports will be uh, living. And also um, some good All-22 stuff there. Dalton, we always enjoy the conversation. Know you're very busy. Let's maybe do it again after free agency. After that dust settles, we'll probably have a much better idea based on what the Jaguars do in free agency, what direction they'll be looking in late April. Thank you, my friend. Absolutely. Anytime. He's Hacker After Dark on 1010XL. 
With you to 8 o'clock tonight, up early, normally 8 to 10. Tonight, 6 to 8, 1010XL, 92.5 FM. Coming up in less than 15 minutes, we'll head down to Orlando, Florida. Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel, the beat writer for the Orlando Magic. Winners of four of their last five. They currently sit in the sixth spot in the Eastern Conference playoffs. In fact, only a half game behind Philly. Actually, technically, they're in a tie with Philadelphia for five. Philly's got the tiebreaker, so basically a half game. And they're only a game behind the New York Knicks for the fourth spot, which would mean home court in round one. Pretty crazy, the turnaround in Orlando. R.J. Saunders is with me. R.J. is the host of Open Gym here on 1010XL. That's our NBA program Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. R.J., half of your show on Sundays it revolves around the Orlando Magic, and, man, they're playing really good basketball right now. Absolutely. Four and one coming out of the break. As you said, I mean, currently in the sixth spot. Um, Paulo Bancaro, after not playing their last game against Brooklyn, puts a 29-piece on the Utah Jazz. This, this Orlando Magic team is beginning to look pretty good. Well, and the crazy thing to me is a long-suffering member of the Orlando Magic fan club. Uh, my uncle, six years old, takes me down there and – I watched Scott Skiles and Greg Kite and Anthony Bowie and Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson. I've been suffering with this franchise for the last 35 years. But the good times look like they're here, man, because, look, as fun as this year is, all of these guys are 26 and under. The yeah. only guys that are older than 27 are Joe Ingles and Gary Harris, and that's it, man. It is a young team. And a lot of money that you can use to build around these guys because I look at this team and this team being with as many young guns as they have, and you look at teams like a Minnesota, you look at teams like a OKC, they're right there in the mix as young teams that are going to be a force to be reckoned with once we get deeper and deeper into the NBA season as well as down the line. This Orlando Magic team could be one of those contending teams in a few years it depends on what they do in free agency this coming season, but to be 26 and under with this team and to have a veteran like Joe Ingles, I believe has been a just heaven-sent thing for this team, I think all the stars are beginning to align for this Orlando Magic team. You and I are clearly two of the bigger NBA fans on the station. Did you think Bancaro would be the player that apparently he has become? I, I didn't know. I honestly didn't know. I mean, Houston thought that that was going to be their pick at three, and it seemed to me that they were going to kind of use him as a complimentary piece to Jalen Green and a complimentary piece to Alperin Shingoon. But he gets drafted by Orlando, and this guy is a bona fide star. He's now been named an NBA All-Star. I don't think Franz Wagner is too far away from being named an All-Star himself. You have a young duo in Orlando that's going to continue to grow, continue to get better, and continue to thrive with a guy like Coach Mosley, who's been a great coach for a rebuilding team. Paulo Pancaro is an absolute monster, and he's only getting better. And to think this is only his second season, hack, this guy's going to be scary down the line. Jalen Suggs is starting to play good basketball, too. You know, I was trying to find a comp to Bancaro for people that haven't seen him play or haven't seen a lot of him. And I don't know if he'll turn out to be as good as this guy was. I'm just going body type, shooter, get to the rim, the whole package. 
Does Bancaro have a little Carmelo Anthony in him? Bonafide score. Uh, absolutely. I, I mean, I can definitely see it. Just a big body guy, knows his spots, knows how to get a basket, isn't afraid to get in there and get the rebounds. He could have a little bit of Carmelo Anthony in his game. I think um, once they kind of refine him a little bit better, I think you may see a guy that can be that point forward-ish uh, type of a player. I mean, you see it in bits and pieces, but you have a lot of guards around him. But this is going to be a guy in just a couple of years that can go from maybe Carmelo Anthony to – I can't think of a comp right now because Carmelo Anthony is just so great. Um, but here's how I've thought about it, Hack. I think he's one of the best Orlando Magic scorers they've had in quite some time. I mean, you had the the Penny Hardaway years before he got injured. You had the McGrady years. And now it's Paolo Bancaro here in terms of being a wing guy, a wing scorer. Carmelo Anthony, if you can get that there in Orlando with pieces around him, you could be you could be talking about a deep run in the playoffs in a few years. Quickly, because we got Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel, RJ, coming up pretty soon here. Anybody in the East going to challenge Boston in the playoffs? Well, it's interesting. I'm going to have Lee Ellis on the show on Sunday, and Lee Ellis, just talking to him before Sunday's show, he doesn't believe that Boston is going to be a team that's just going to run away with the East. A lot of individuals think that the New York Knicks may have something to say. However, New York, have they learned are they going to be completely healthy? I'll by tell the you time? this: New York, not to cut you off. New York is the four. Yeah. If Orlando's the five, Knicks don't want that. I don't think so. The, or we're a bad matchup for yeah. the Knicks. We've beat the tar out of them three times this year. I don't think. I don't think that they want to see the. If the Knicks were to beat the Magic, and hopefully they don't, but the Knicks, they look to be a team that could cause problems. For the Boston Celtics, I don't know about Cleveland yet. I, you know, Cleveland really isn't a team that scares me. Philadelphia would have probably been the only team that I would have said, hey, I think that's the team that's going to do it because they have nobody to stop Embiid. But I don't think Embiid's going to be the player that he was before the injury. And Milwaukee, I don't know. They make me scratch my head a little bit. Is it Dame's team? Giannis says it's Dame's team. Is Giannis going to be that guy that's going to create matchup issues? For the Boston Celtics, who now can throw many bodies at him, it's definitely going to be an interesting thing. If I had to say right now, it would probably be the Milwaukee Bucks um, with the New York Knicks being a close second. But this could be Boston's world, and we're just leaving, living in it. 30 seconds. Who's more dangerous in the West if they get in, Golden State or the Lakers? I think the Lakers are a postseason team, and I don't, I don't say that because I'm a Lakers fan. I just think they're a postseason team. And if they have all their guys healthy and the key guys like Jared Vanderbilt uh, may be coming back, and if you have Austin Reeves and you have Rui Hachimura and you can get that rotation uh, to even itself out, the Lakers could do what they did last year, and that's hurt somebody's feelings. Um, it's going to be interesting to see what they do because I don't think LeBron's going to be able to do what he did um, for the final 20-some-odd games of the NBA regular season when they beat the Clippers from coming back from 21 down. But if LeBron and the, and the Lakers can get into the playoffs and you're an eight seed or a seven seed and you're facing Minnesota or OKC, they could hurt their feelings in the first round. The absolutely crazy thing right now in the West, Golden State and the Lakers would be the 9-10 play-in game. Winner advances, loser season is over. Now, 
Still about 20, 22 games to go in the regular season. A lot could change, but that's the way it stands. Tell us about the show Sunday morning, Open Gym, 11 a.m. here on 1010XL. It's going to be an exciting show. Uh, we're going to talk about the Orlando Magic and what team would you want to face if you're the Orlando Magic in the first round of the NBA playoffs. And we're also going to talk to Lee Ellis. He's going to talk to us around the association. Is this Boston's NBA championship to win? LeBron James wants a, a contract in the realm of nine figures. Do you do that if you're the front office in L.A.? And then want to get into some GOAT talk. Should we end the GOAT talk and just enjoy the era? That's going to be on Sunday. That is R.J. Saunders. You get open gym with him Sunday morning at 11 a.m. Let's head down to Orlando, Florida. Jason Beatty, the beat writer for the Orlando Magic, for the Orlando Sentinel. Let's talk Orlando. Let's talk Eastern Conference and more NBA talk on a Friday evening here on Hacker After Dark. Again, 6 to 8 tonight. We'll go back 8 to 10 beginning on Monday with R.J. Saunders, the Hacker Ryan Green with you. Jacksonville, we're glad you're with us. Friday night, 10-10 XL and 92.5 FM. Let's ring up another guest on the All-Pro Roofing phone line. Hacker After Dark on 10-10 XL. Back here on 10-10 XL and 92.5 FM in the city of Jacksonville. We are glad you are with us. Boy, I've waited a long time to get into early March and have the Orlando Magic right in the thick of a playoff race, but that's where the Magic are. They are battling with the likes of Philadelphia, Indiana, Miami, even the New York Knicks for seeding in the Eastern Conference playoffs as Orlando having their best year in quite some time. And it looks like they have finally turned that corner as a franchise. Let's head to Orlando, Florida. Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel does a terrific job covering the Magic, and he's kind enough to join us here on 1010XL in Jacksonville. Jason, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing great in Orlando. It's a beautiful day this afternoon, and uh, just it's nice to be home for a little bit. The Magic are in the middle of a three-game homestand, and uh, things are going well right now. Jason, are they ahead of schedule? I know last year they showed glimpses after that awful 5-20 and 20 start, but I think a lot of people thought Orlando might be battling for a play-in situation, and they are certainly doing that, but they are doing much more than that now as they sit seven games over 500. Oh, yeah, they're, they're definitely ahead of schedule. And I think when you, you know, if you go back before the season started and before the, you know, when the schedule came out, you know, you looked at, the second half and even after the all-star break, I think most people thought that if you could get to the all-star break relatively healthy and in a solid position, you'd have a good chance knowing that, you know, you have an an eight game homestand coming up. Uh, The schedule gets easier and they're, they're definitely ahead of schedule, Um, you know, to to be with 33 wins at this point in the season. uh, You know, obviously they were able to avoid a a poor start, uh, which was key of course, uh, but to be in seventh in the East and half a game out of the you know the sixth spot, they're closer to making the playoffs than uh, you know being in the nine or the ten spot and, and really in competition for the play in as they were last year. Uh, they're they're absolutely ahead of schedule. Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel here with us on 1010XL 
in Jacksonville. And then they've dodged a lot of bullets when it comes to injuries. Now, early in the year, Markel Fultz missed some time. Wendell Carter missed some time. I remember watching that game against Utah, and I saw it happen. I'm like, oh, no. I think it was a broken bone in the hand, and I knew he was going to be gone. But they survived those injuries. And now, I mean, a couple of guys will miss some time here and there, and we'll get to that. But by and large, 60-some-odd games into the regular season, they are a pretty healthy basketball club, all things considering. Yeah, it really says a lot about the job that Jamal Mosley has done in his third year. Uh, you know, when Wendell Carter went down and, and, like you said, broke his left hand and Markel Fultz was out for 27 games, you know, Jamal made an effort to really, you know, figure out the rotations pretty quickly. Uh, he moved Anthony Black, number six overall pick, a lottery pick, into the starting lineup. He moved Gogo Bataze into the starting lineup and really kept that second unit together. Um, and, and it worked out that, you know, Gogo was – uh, you know, offers a lot of size, has a strong presence around the rim, and Anthony Black, who who wasn't known for his shooting in Arkansas, was able to improve his shot in, in addition to his, you know, really solid defense for a rookie. Um, and, and they not only, you know, survived that stretch without Markell and, and Wendell, but they thrived. I mean, they, they ripped off nine in a row. And, you know, of course, towards the end of that, before Wendell Carter and Markell Fultz returned, you know, things did get a little bit hairy, especially at the end of December, early January. Uh, you know, the fact that they were able to pull some wins on the West Coast trip and, uh, you know, especially when Franz Wagner went injured, was was injured and you had Chuma KK starting games and Caleb Houston starting games. Uh, you know, the injuries definitely caught up to them in a little bit. But, uh, you know, when you had players like Paolo Boncaro and, uh, you know, some of these other guys stepping up, um they were able to piece together a pretty solid stretch. And now they're, now that they're healthy for the most part, um, it's, it's they're, they're playing the type of basketball they want to be playing. Jason, I love Nick Vucevic. He was one of my all-time favorite members of the Orlando Magic. Unfortunately, he and Fournier and Gordon just could never really turn that corner. But Nick Vucevic allowed Orlando to acquire Wendell <laughs> Carter Jr. and Franz Wagner. And that that is an awful trade in retrospect for the Bulls with what Orlando got for that. Uh, just and We'll get to Paolo, obviously, soon here. But those two in particular, Franz and Wendell, I don't think either guy gets the credit they probably deserve. No, and I think what Franz is doing is, is pretty spectacular. I mean, to score and you know to score 30-plus without taking a free-throw attempt, uh, he's just really consistent, and he, he really holds himself to such a high standard. I mean, all these guys do, but I feel like Franz in particular is really top really hard on himself, uh, which is a good thing. I mean, he's, he's still really young. Uh, and, and Wendell, especially now that he's, you know, returned after he missed 20 games because of the left hand. Uh, and then he dealt with some knee problems as well. Uh, he, he's really starting to return to his form as well. And I think, you know, a lot of people think uh, of the magic with, with Paolo and Franz and almost kind of forget about how big of a foundational piece Wendell Carter is uh, and, and how important he is to this team. So uh, he's not only, uh, you know, a defensive presence around the rim, but he can help spread the floor with his three-point shooting and uh, just just a really smart basketball player that, uh, you know, makes the right decisions and, and really is important to this team. Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel covering the Orlando Magic here with us on 1010XL in Jacksonville. That gets us to Paolo. Uh, look, I'll be honest with you. I, I didn't know when they had the number one pick in the draft. I figured it wasn't going to be Holmgren. I thought about was it Jabari Smith, I guess, out in Houston, the former Auburn player, 
and Paolo. And, and when Orlando drafted Paolo, I was underwhelmed a little bit. And I've never been so happy to be wrong about my <laughs> beloved Orlando Magic in my entire life. They got a dude down there in Paolo Bancaro. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, for him to be a first-time All-Star in his second year, win Rookie of the Year, uh, and not only that, but improve. I mean, he's, he's his efficiency numbers, uh, you know, especially from three, he's gone from 30% to almost 37%, uh, you know, in his second year, and, and his assist, his, his playmaking, uh, you know, the fact that he gets double-teamed and sometimes even triple-teamed on a nightly basis, and he's been able to, you know, get ahead of the curve in that and, and find his open teammates and his cutting teammates and um, you know, you, you talk about being ahead of schedule, the fact that they nailed that pick, it's really hard to do. I mean, you, you talk, you look at, you know, just because you have the number one pick doesn't mean that it's going to be a shoe in as we've seen over the years. And for Orlando to draft the guy in Boncaro, who's, uh, you know, really takes a lot of work and, and pride in his work, uh, and wants to improve and wants to get better. And he, he's done that so far this season. You know, like I said before, there was a reason he's an all-star in his second year. Uh, they, they nailed that pick, and, and he's the reason where they are right now. You know, you talk about Paulo, Franz, Wendell. Certainly those are the big three I think people would refer to. But I got to tell you, I'm not sure the most improved player on the team isn't Jalen Suggs. He's kind of the forgotten guy. He was a top five pick. He was actually drafted before Franz in the 20, was it 2022, I guess, NBA draft. But Jalen Suggs has developed a three-point shot. His defense is fantastic. Jalen Suggs has taken his game to a next level this year. Yeah, he's really taken that next leap. I mean, you mentioned his shooting. He's gone from 21% to 32% to 38% from three. And when you talk about the Magic needing three-point shooting, Jalen Suggs has provided that. Uh, and, and not just his efficiency, but the amount of threes he's made. He's made more threes in this season than his first two years in the NBA. And, and we talk about the importance of a you know high-quality shooting guard the fact that he can shoot consistently and efficiently from three, in addition to being one of the best defenders in the NBA, uh, he, he's such a scrappy player, high high level, uh, you know, high high aggressiveness uh, player. I mean, when you're watching Magic games and you see Jalen Suggs all, all kind of get released on a on an offender, uh, the guy he's guarding, it's 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 pretty scary. He's he's uh, just a, such a scrappy player and high energy and just like you said, a really important piece to this team as well and has certainly improved in, in almost every aspect of his game, but especially from three-point range. A couple of more for Jason Beattie of the Orlando Sentinel. The crazy thing, we've been talking now almost 10 minutes. We've talked about Suggs and Paolo and Franz and Wendell. And you think about the other guys, right? I mean, Markel Fultz, Cole Anthony, Joe Ingles, Gary Harris, Jonathan Isaac, Mo Wagner. I mean, and I know I'm a diehard, so so maybe some of those names don't resonate, <laughs> but some of them do. I mean, if you don't have to be a casual NBA fan to know who Cole Anthony is or who Jonathan Isaac is or even who Mo Wagner is, this is a deep basketball team, Jason. And you didn't even mention Joe Ingles, you know, yeah. one of the one of the few additions to this team that they made over the summer. And that's one of the reasons Jeff Weltman uh, decided, you know, ultimately that they were going to stick with this group over the summer. This group has, you know, really been together uh, for the most part outside of Paolo, of course, for the last three years or so. And then they added Paolo and he's been that missing piece, of course. And in the offseason, they didn't really make a whole lot of changes to their roster. And then they they stuck. They they doubled down at the trade deadline. You know, of course, it takes two teams to make a trade, and that was something Weltman and I talked about after the deadline passed. But 
you know, they really felt confident in, in the group that they have. And these guys have earned this opportunity to, you know, make a push, not just for the play in, but a playoff spot. They, they really believe that they can be a five or even a six seed in the playoffs. And uh, sticking with what they have, you, you talked about the guys that stepped up when they were dealing with those injuries. And you've seen, you know, different players step up at different times. It's, it's really impressive that, um, you know, what they're doing, but it's, it's, it's really important that, you know, Jamal Mosley always mentions, you know, the continuity of this roster is a reason why they're so successful. You got to enjoy it now, right? If you're an Orlando fan and maybe next year, because these guys are young, but they're making very minimal money on the NBA scale. That will not be the case in a couple of years when Franz and Jalen come up for extensions, <laughs> Paulo soon after that. So, you're not going to be able to keep this core together, I wouldn't think, too much longer. So you got to enjoy it while you have it. Yeah, and that was another reason that they, you know, wanted to keep this group together to see what this team can accomplish. I mean, the fact that Paolo's only in the second year, um, you know, Franz is obviously really young as well. Jalen Suggs is really young. Cole Anthony's really young. Wendell Carter, even though he's been here for a couple of years, is still relatively young. He's never been in the playoffs. I mean, this team needs a playoff series. The majority of them haven't been in the playoffs besides a Gary Harris and a Joe Ingles uh, and, and even Jonathan Isaac going back. You know, he was on that 2019 squad as well. And Markel's, you know, been around a little bit as well. But um, the fact that this, the majority of the team doesn't have that playoff experience, that's what they want this group to you know, go through together and then see how what they can accomplish this year and continue to build that roster. My uncle, when I was young, took me to the Orlando Arena and I saw the likes of Greg Kite and Anthony Bowie and Dennis Scott and Nick Anderson. And then obviously <laughs> Shaq and Penny came into the fold. I mean, I am as diehard an Orlando Magic fan as you will find in Jacksonville, Florida. I've been fighting the good fight for years, <laughs> but it's been tough, right? I mean, the team has been awful uh, for going on a decade plus they had a couple of playoff appearances where they won maybe a game and then they were out of there the city of Orlando the fan base the the, the diehards they got to be loving this right this is certainly a long time coming well that's the that's the really impressive thing you know when you go to a magic game nowadays it's it's almost always sold out right or, or near sellout and it's not for the most part other fans it is truly through and through a magic fan base inside the Kia center. And, and the, the players talk about this all the time. I mean, it is a little bit cliche, but they really thrive off the energy in that building. And, and you talk about making a playoff push and, and having the support of the fans in Orlando, they are proud of this team. They are proud of what this team is, is going towards accomplishing so far. Uh, but it's filled with magic fans. It's, it's not visiting teams, you know, if you go to a Lakers game or a Knicks game, uh, it's it's through and through Magic fans. It's it's really impressive what this fan base has done, and, and they have good reason to be proud of this group. I tell people in Jacksonville all the time, it's an hour and 45 minutes if you want to get a little dangerous on the interstate, certainly not less than two <laughs> hours to Orlando. That whole setup down there from the Church Street area, you walk over to the game, I always am fond of Corona's Cigar Bar after the game for a little libation, but it's a nice setup that they have right down in the middle of downtown Orlando. And they're continuing to you know, build on that. I think in the next few years, they're working closer and closer to uh, you know, updating the Kia Center. They, they recently got some tourist tax development money uh, to upgrade the Kia Center, and they're also working towards building their entertainment district around the area right there, right in front of the arena. So uh, it's it's not only a, a really good area right now, but it's continuing to 
uh, be built upon and upgraded and, and added to. And I think Orlando definitely wants to host an all-star game in the future at some point, again, bringing, bringing that game back to Florida, uh, but that they like the area and, you know, the Kia Center is a world-class arena for sure. I always give the Magic credit. They got that huge parking garage next to the arena. They got walkways <laughs> from the garage to the arena. Literally, if you don't want to go but anywhere but the game, you park in the garage, you walk across the bridge to the arena. After the game, you do the exact opposite, and you're out of there in 10 minutes and back on I-4. I mean, it is easy as pie to get in and out of that place if you want to go down and catch a game. Jason, tell the good folks here in Jacksonville, we've been airing some Magic games here on 1010XL, and we'll take all the bandwagon fans. Come on, you don't have to break down Daryl Armstrong and, (laughs) you know, Tree Rollins. I'll welcome you on the bandwagon. Jason, tell the good folks up here what they can expect with your coverage at the Orlando Sentinel. Yeah, absolutely. OrlandoSentinel.com is where you can find all my daily coverage, uh, scoops, analysis, uh, at the real BD on Twitter. Uh, just continuing to follow along with this really fun group of guys, this this team that's, you know, really putting something together special this season. Hey, Jason, really enjoyed the conversation, man. Thank you again. Let's hopefully do it in a couple of weeks. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And thank you very much to Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel for joining us tonight. Here on Hacker After Dark as the Orlando Magic now sit at 34 and 26 on the year. Eight games above 500. They would be, I believe, the sixth seed in the Eastern Conference playoffs if it started today. But they find themselves in a virtual tie with Philadelphia for the fifth seed. And they're only a game back of the New York Knicks for the fourth seed. So, Orlando, a young team coming of age. Again, I think there are a lot of parallels between the Magic and the Jaguars, two teams that were awful for a long time, two teams that because they were awful for a long time continued to draft good players, and now those good players are turning the corner. Trevor Lawrence here in Jacksonville, and of course, Paolo Bancaro, Franz Wagner, Jalen Suggs, and the crew down in Orlando. So again, Jason Beatty of the Orlando Sentinel. Well, that'll just about do it. It has been a very, very fun, very quick moving week here on Hacker After Dark. We certainly appreciate you guys hanging out with us here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. We got a ton of people to thank. Again, Jason Beatty in Orlando. Thank you to Dalton Miller, NFL draft analyst. Always appreciate talking draft and looking around the league with my buddy Dalton Miller. And back at our number one, Hayes Carline. You get him every afternoon on the Frangie Show, and we certainly appreciate Hayes taking time out for us tonight here on Hacker After Dark. We will be back Monday night at 8 o'clock, and we will do it all over again. And perhaps at that point, we will have a little clarity on Josh Allen again March 5th. Next Tuesday is the deadline for the Jaguars to either get a long-term deal done with Allen or place the franchise tag on him, because now we are only 10 days, 10 days away from NFL free agency. R.J. Saunders was your producer tonight. In for Dylan Denmark. R.J., appreciate it, man. Don't forget R.J.'s program Sunday morning. Open Gym, talking NBA, Orlando Magic, and more. That'll air at 11 a.m. right here on 1010XL and on 92.5 FM. So, R.J., Always appreciate you, my friend. I'm the hacker, Ryan Green. And again, Jacksonville, thank you for spending part of your Friday evening and your entire week with us here 
on Hacker After Dark. We can't tell you enough how much we certainly, certainly appreciate it. So for all of us here on HAD, have an absolutely terrific remainder of your Friday evening and a fantastic weekend. And we will do it all over again Monday night, beginning at 8 o'clock. Until then, good night, Jacksonville. Oh,